0: Hey, it's Pastor Mike. A really small step that could be a really big blessing to our ministry and to the kingdom of God is you taking just a second to rate and review this podcast. You probably know how algorithms work. More people get to hear about this podcast and most importantly, hear about Jesus when you do. So thanks for helping us out and may God bless you today. Christianity will never be cool, it never has been, it never will be. And it's not for the lack of trying. We've tried to have cool music and cool buildings and cool preachers. But it seems like the more we try to be cool, the more foolish we come across. It's kind of like a parent who's trying to be cool around his teenagers. Uh, I've done this before. remember a few months ago I was taking my daughter and her friends to a basketball game and they're sitting in the back seat and they're using words like cap, no cap, or I bought some new drip, or this is busing. And I stopped them and I said, wait a second, what are you saying? I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. And so they explained to me what they were talking about and I started to use some of their hip, cool language and my daughter stopped me. She said, oh no, dad, you're not cool. You're not supposed to be. And that's what the apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians. Uh, He had a church in Greece, uh, in, in Corinth. And they were trying to make Christianity cool, make it mainstream. They were focusing on the cool preacher and and breaking apart in these little cool groups. And Paul said, that's not what Christianity is all about. In fact, he said the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. And why is that? Because he said, Jews look for miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified which is foolishness to the world, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so some people are only gonna look for worldly power. Some people are only gonna look for worldly wisdom and the cross of Christ is none of those things. We follow a God who died shamefully on a cross, on a Roman execution tool. Jesus died shamefully on the cross. And what that means is he was hung up there naked and exposed and he didn't seem to be glorious or powerful or strong in that moment. And yet for us, in that moment, he is the power of God. When you're at the end of your rope, when you're filled with guilt and shame and your life feels meaningless, that's when the cross of Christ comes across as the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's in the cross that we receive forgiveness and acceptance for God, Jesus, Jesus paid for all of our sins. He's made us one with him and in part of God's family and it's the wisdom of God. And so Christianity will never be cool but maybe it doesn't have to be. Just like our teenagers don't need us to be cool. No, our teenagers need us to be present and loving and kind and that's what the world needs from Christians also. They need us to be present and loving and kind. And then when they're at the end of their rope, maybe we can tell them about the power and the wisdom of God, the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us for all those times that we've tried to dress up Christianity and make it something that it isn't. Help us to see the wisdom and the power in the cross of Christ. In your name we pray. It seems like one of the highest values in our culture is tolerance. We're very proud of all the different lifestyles that we tolerate. In fact, we even say things like, my body, my choice. I can do whatever I want with my body. And that's one of the reasons why Christianity is going to seem foolish, as if Christianity is a foolish morality. And that's not a new problem. When Paul was starting his church in Corinth, they had a phrase in that culture Everything is permissible for me. In other words, I can do whatever I want with my own body. And so Paul had to tell them that when it comes to our Christian morality, we look at things differently. And he wrote, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Don't you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so, although it might seem foolish to our culture today, we believe as Christians that our bodies are not our own. That God created us, that he is the designer. He knows how our bodies work well and that's why he's told us what to do. And not only that, our bodies were purchased with Jesus' own blood. And now, the, temp, now the, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us as his special temple. And so, although it might seem foolish to the rest of the world, I want to encourage you to look at your bodies, not as your own, but something that is a gift from God, something that the Holy Spirit dwells in, something that Jesus bought with his very own blood. Let's pray. Lord God, Although it might seem foolish to the rest of the world, help us to see the wisdom in how you created us and how you want us to live. Lord God, thank you for forgiving us for all of our sins, buying us back with your own blood, washing us clean, and now lead us to honor you with our bodies. In your name we pray, amen. The United States was founded on the belief of personal freedom and rights. In fact, it's in our founding document, the Declaration of Independence. It says this We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In many ways, those ideas match up with Christianity. We believe that we have a creator who have given us rights. We were made in his image as special creatures. Also, we've gotten freedom uh, from sin because of Jesus Christ. We have freedom from the Old Testament laws. We have freedom from our old way of life. And so in many ways, uh, we align with the Declaration of Independence. And yet, for Christians, the highest value is not our personal rights, and our personal freedom. Now that might sound foolish at first, but I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says when he was speaking to the Corinthians and he told them that their own rights are not their highest value. He said this, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Did you hear that? He said there is something even more important than our personal rights and our personal freedom, and that's love. And so, the apostle Paul, before he did anything, he asked the question, is this the loving thing to do? And so, for example, he had the right to take a salary uh, for preaching the gospel. But he said, I did not use this right. I decided to not take a salary for preaching the gospel because I didn't want to cause a stumbling block to other people who thought I might be doing the ministry just for money. Today, we might say, I have the right to drink alcohol, but maybe I'm not going to use this right or use this freedom if I'm around somebody who's struggling with alcoholism. You see, for the Christian, the first question we ask is not, can I do this? Or do I have the right to do this? Or am I free to do this? The first question we want to ask is, is this the loving thing to do? Now, that might seem foolish to a culture that demands rights and freedoms. But to Christians, we follow a Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave up his rights who gave up his freedom to give up his life on the cross to rescue us. And So we want to imitate his way of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the freedom, for the human rights that are ours because we are your creatures. But Lord God, help us to imitate your life of love, that you gave up your rights in order to love us. And now help us to love one another. In your name we pray, amen. When a person becomes a Christian, they enter into a new community, a new family, and that becomes their primary identity. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Galatians, he said this There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Now, that might sound like a foolish idea, especially in our our culture that loves to categorize people. We categorize people based on their income, whether they're rich or poor. On their gender, whether they're male or female. On their race, whether they're black or white. On their sexual identity. And we want to focus so much on these different categories. But as a Christian, we want to focus on the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Now this is not a new problem. Paul dealt with this when he was reaching his church in Corinth. They were obsessed about their different classes and categories even when they were having the Lord's Supper. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that when they would gather for the Lord's Supper, the rich people would gather together and go ahead with their own private suppers. They would gobble down their own bread and they would drink so much of their own wine to the point of getting drunk. And at the same time, isolating themselves from the poor and neglecting their fellow Christians who are poor in their congregation. And so Paul wanted to teach them how to properly have the Lord's Supper. He says, when they gather together, they ought to examine themselves and see this kind of selfishness and self-centeredness. He said that they should discern the body. And what that could mean is the body of believers, those other fellow Christians that are gathered with them. And then he finally says, when you gather to eat this meal, you should all eat it together. You see, Paul said that this seemingly foolish meal, this simple meal of a bread and wine, was actually Holy Communion that was supposed to create a holy community. As they received the bread and the cup, they were receiving Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of sins and they were all becoming one. They all gathered around this table, the same, they were all sinful and they were all receiving Jesus' forgiveness. Something similar can happen today. As Christians, we might have many things that divide us. Maybe we have different income levels. Maybe we have different backgrounds or races or genders or different temptations that we're struggling with. But when we gather together as Christians, we become one. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we can become a holy community that creates um, holy communion. And so here's my encouragement to you. Gather together as one. Let Holy Communion create a holy community. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this simple, seemingly foolish meal of the Lord's Supper. We pray that in a world that is so divided that you would make us all one in Christ Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. The Christian hope is most clearly seen at a Christian funeral. Now at first glance, Christian funerals and secular funerals might seem to be similar. You both have readings, they both have flowers and eulogies. And at both secular funerals and Christian funerals, you'll hear hear people say, she's in a better place or at least they're not suffering anymore. But the real difference happens at the committal or the graveside service. Have you ever been to one of those? When you gather around the gravesite, and then a priest or pastor will say something like this It has pleased the Almighty God in His wisdom to take out of this world the soul of our dear loved one. We now commit this body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Did you hear that? That's the Christian hope. Not just that we die and go to a better place. But we have this hope of the resurrection, that one day Jesus is going to come back and raise our bodies physically. Now that might seem foolish at first. It certainly did to the Corinthians in the first century, the church that Paul was reaching. He said that many of them were so caught up in Greek philosophy that they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so he said this, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Paul says that if there is no resurrection, our faith is useless. Um, All our hope is gone, that all our hope is in the bodily resurrection. Do you know about that hope? Do you know that our hope is not just in this world, but our hope is that Jesus will come back and resurrect our bodies? That might sound like foolishness, but it's the truth. Jesus truly rose from the dead in the body and he's coming back to do it again. And because that is true, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives this encouragement. He says, Therefore, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us the strength and the faith to believe in the resurrection that you are going to overcome all things, sin, death, and the devil, on the last day when you raise us in our bodies and make all things new. Help us focus on that, especially during the difficult days. In your name we pray, amen.